Well, I invite you this morning, if you would, to turn in your Bibles uh, once again with me uh, to the book of Joshua. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, we have some Bibles available on the back table for you or simply follow along in the insert found in your bulletin. For those of you who are visiting this morning, we welcome you again and uh, just inform you that we have been studying this historical book uh, of the Old Testament beginning at uh, chapter 1, verse 1, and now have made our way up to chapter 7, and we turn this morning to what is yet another lengthy account, and yet one that really could not be divided easily, but it's a lengthy account following this this wave of blessing, we might say, that God's people have been riding. Remember, God has led His people into the promised land. He has assured them of His promises, of His presence, of His power, and that has given them strength and courage. He has parted the Jordan River before their eyes. He has confirmed and He has renewed His covenant with them through signs and through seals. And most recently, the walls of Jericho have crumbled at the sound of their shout of praise to the Lord. God's people have seen and witnessed so much. Hearts are melting. People are falling before them. But how quickly, how almost indescribably quickly, things are about to change. From from the high of verse 27 in chapter 6, the Lord was with Joshua to the low of Joshua 7 verse 1 that we're about to read. From judgment upon their enemies to judgment within their midst. What happened? Well, let's listen and let's learn. I invite you, if you are able, uh, to stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Joshua chapter 7, verses 1 through 26. Listen as I read. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. And the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, go up and spy the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and they said to him, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up from there, went up there from the people. And they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about thirty-six of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Sherah as Shabarim, and struck them at their descent, and the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes, and he fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? 
Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought near by your tribes, and the tribe that the Lord takes by lot shall come near by clans, and the clan that the Lord shall takes shall come near by households, and the household that the Lord takes shall come near man by man, and he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel." So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel near tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerahites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerahites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. And Joshua said to Achan, my son, Give glory to the God, to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to Him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them, and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent, brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought him them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Well, maybe some of you who know the Scriptures well knew that this story was coming. But if you didn't, well, you didn't see that one coming. Neither did Joshua see this coming. 
This is not only a plot twist in what has been a captivating story and history of the nation of Israel, but this is no doubt a very difficult chapter in the history of Israel. But it is here for us today as God's New Testament people, as the church, to learn from and to be challenged by as well. And so for the next few minutes, I'd like to frame this story around three truths that I think that the Lord is reminding us of this morning. And like, like concentric circles that move out, I want to begin with you. I want to move out to talk about us. And I want to end up being where we ought to end up. And that is talking about Him. Talking about God Himself. So you us, and then Him. And the first truth is this. Sin is the powerful enemy within. Sin is the powerful enemy within. Anna and I were, ta- were taking a walk this week, and I was talking about my study. I was talking about my week, and I mentioned to her that I was going to preach on sin, to which she immediately responded, ah, I hate sin. And an appropriate response is, yes, we hate sin. For one in whom the Spirit of God dwells, sin is our enemy. And we ought to hate it. But that doesn't mean we ought not talk about it. Because we must know ourselves. We must understand our nature in order that we might fight that sin, in order that we might apprehend the mercy and grace of God that much more. And so sin is the powerful enemy within. Well, as we come to the story this morning, though we and the characters that are involved won't discover it until later, This whole passage stems around the actions, around the sin of one man. That man was Achan. In our timeline, as I mentioned a minute ago, the Israelites with divine help, they've just defeated the fortified city of Jericho. And now 10 miles to the west of Jericho stands the much smaller city of Ai. And so much like they did with Jericho, Doing their due diligence in a military campaign, Joshua sends out scouts. He sends out spies to look over the land and to assess the situation. And the report is good. It's really good. They come back and they say, we can do this. We can not only do this, but we can do this at less than full strength. Now, we don't know what was behind those comments. Was that just faith? in the promises of God, in the confidence that their God was with them, or was this pride? Was this overconfidence in their ability, suddenly thinking they're invincible? We don't know precisely, but we do know that in this brief recounting of the interaction of the spies, there is no mention of Yahweh. And whether they included Him or not in the consultation about how they should take Ai, God is not there. He doesn't go with them to Ai. And if God is not with His people, then they are left to their human selves. And the human selves of the Israelites are not much to speak about. 
And so this smaller force that was sent to take Ai was supposed to be a snap. They come back with their tails tucked between their legs, having lost 36 of their fighting men. And now, suddenly everything has changed. Suddenly there is this role reversal. It's not the hearts of the Canaanites that are melting. It's the hearts of the Israelites that are suddenly melting. And Joshua, he's in despair because he doesn't know what we know. And so he tears his clothes and he cries in bold language to the Lord in verses 7 to 9. And he says, why? And this is not unbelief on Joshua's part. This is confusion. This is despair. Tell me what happened. And then we come to verse 10, and it was striking again as I read it this morning. Verse 10, the Lord God says, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. It's almost as if the Lord says, Joshua, you ought to know what's going on. You should know why this happened. I told you back in chapter 6, verse 18, that trouble would come upon you if the devoted things were kept. And of course, Joshua learns through investigation, actually through, through lots, through this Old Testament form of divine guidance, that it's true. That Achan, from the tribe of Judah, a member of the covenant community, a witness to the wall of water in the distance, recently circumcised, probably still tired from walking around the walls of Jericho and experiencing the supernatural crumbling of those walls, that man has explicitly disregarded Yahweh's instructions. And we sit here and we say, really? Really, Achan, after all that you've just seen, after all that you have just experienced, could there be a more inconceivable time to disobey, to forget what the Lord has done? And yet, it's a reminder of the powerful sin that is within. Not just within Achan, but within all of us. One of the things I want us to see as we pick apart the sin of Achan is we see us. We see our human nature. Let me read again verse 21, Achan's confession. He says, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak of Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent. Four verbs that Achan gives in his confession. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. He saw. What did he see? Well, he saw the shininess. Ah, the beautiful coins. And in his mind and in his heart, those coins and that robe became the thing. The thing in his life. And by making it the thing, he violated the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Rather than his delight, his satisfaction, his contentment being in Yahweh, the one who had just done all of this crazy stuff in his midst, he lost sight of him and his heart coveted what he saw. 
And that's the second verb. I coveted 200 shekels of silver, a gold bar weighing 50 shekels. I mean, this was not small potatoes. Some commentators say that what Achan stole was the earnings of a lifetime. And he wants it. Think how secure this will make me and my family. Think how good that robe will look. And besides, God must not be good if He doesn't want His people to have that kind of stuff. And so He violates the Tenth Commandment. And then what does He do? He takes, I took, He says. This wasn't His. This wasn't His fight. This wasn't His victory. Remember, it's the Lord's battle. It's the Lord's victory. These weren't His spoils. God said in Deuteronomy 7 that these things were to be devoted to destruction and so He stole and He violates the Eighth Commandment. And then the result of sin, I hid. How pointless to hide from Yahweh. Proverbs 15.3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Ecclesiastes 12.14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. There's no hiding. And yet he saw, he coveted, he took, he hid. Remember Genesis 3? All the way back at the beginning the story of man's rebellion against their Creator, the reason why we are born with this enemy within, what did Eve do? She saw that the food was good. She saw it was a delight to the eyes, that it would make one wise. And who wouldn't want that, right? She coveted being wise like God. And so she took. And the result of all those verbs in Eve and Adam's lives are that they hid. They hid themselves from the presence of God. This is the nature of sin. Sin is the powerful enemy within. I suspect that many of us, most of us, all of us, know this truth. We know this truth intellectually, but let's think about applying it to our lives. Let's let the Holy Spirit dig in our hearts a bit. How seriously do you think about your sin? How much do you think about your enemy within? Do you hate it? Are you conscious of it? Are you guarding against it? Are you actively fighting sin in your lives? We're going to talk about the severe judgment against Achan in just a moment, but I know that our adverse reaction to that judgment over Achan is partly because we take our sin too lightly. We think it's no big deal. Certainly our world is not serious about it. They don't even talk about it. Why do you you Christians, especially you Presbyterians, you always talk about sin? Such a downer. In fact, our world glories in their sin. They glory in their shame. But we are not the world. We are God's own. 
We bear the name that Joshua pled would be upheld and honored in the world as he cried out to the Lord, we are Christians, we are gods, we are set apart, citizens of a better kingdom. So I think the first encouragement to us this morning is to let Achan's sin, the heart-breaking account of Achan's sin, remind us of our powerful enemy, remind us of the seriousness of sin, and remind us of the need to fight sin. But how do we do that? Right? How do we do that? Well, in one sense, the answer to that is the whole of the Bible. It's this whole thing. But let me try to simplify it. Guarding the gates to our souls. At its very core, at its very heart, involves fixing our eyes on Jesus. On the gospel. Every day, preach the gospel to yourself. You see, the discontentment, the dissatisfaction of Achan was ultimately because he lost focus on Yahweh. He forgot his recent history. He failed to trust Yahweh's future goodness. After all, we're going to read in the next chapter that when God's people do go into Ai eventually, or again, the Lord allows his people to take the spoils there. If Achan had just waited and trusted, rather than trying to do it on his own, he would have actually experienced the material blessing of Yahweh. God loves his children. Psalm 84.11, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly, and yet we think we know better than God. And so we chase this or that. God loves His children, and He has shown His most profound love to us in the cross. And that's where the gaze must be. The cross of Jesus. I want to read a a great quote from a book on the power and defeat of sin, an enemy, excuse me, a book called The Enemy Within by Chris Lungard. And it says this in a portion of that book, He says, let the sorrows of your Savior on the cross move you. Imagine his cries and groans on your behalf till your heart breaks. Daydream about how much love he showed you as he hung naked in your place. And see if the baits and lures of the flesh don't grow ugly and repulsive. Will you give your hours to fantasizing about and dwelling on and longing for the vile things that nailed the lover of your soul to the cursed tree? Set your heart on heavenly things. Fill your affections with the cross of Christ and there will be no room for sin. Then when the flesh fishes for your affections, you'll spit on its petty lures." Know yourself, know your enemy, hate your sin, and know your Savior even more. That's the first thing I want us to consider this morning. But there's another. And here's the second truth I want us to talk about for the next few minutes is you are your brother's keeper. You are your brother's keeper. 
We live in a culture that, as I said before, we don't like to talk about sin. We don't even believe in sin, much of our world. And yet when our world tries to speak about sin, they speak lies. From a popular pop song, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. And then from everyday usage that we might hear on the streets of our city, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone, it's not wrong. One of the things that the Scriptures remind us of this morning is that our sin, your sin, is never about just you. It's never about just you. I mean, right out of the gate in this passage, chapter 7, verse 1, the narrator says, the people of Israel broke faith. And then again from the Lord's mouth in verse 11, Israel has sinned. That phrase, broke faith, is used in numbers to describe marital unfaithfulness. Israel, through the actions of one man and through the climate and the culture that allowed that man's sin to take place, has meant that the whole nation is cheated on God. We don't think this way in regards to our salvation, particularly in our modern day. We don't think this way, even though we live interconnected in all sorts of other spheres. If Microsoft or Amazon has a poor quarter, it's in part your issue. Even this weekend, we are celebrating our solidarity as Americans, and yes, some of us as Canadians, To a degree, as go our countries, so go us. And yet when it comes to our walk of faith, we so easily think in just individualized terms. It's me and Jesus. But in the history of God's people, and particularly in the Old Testament, this just wasn't the case. Our sin, and we certainly see it here, our sin has individual consequences. Achan is dead. And yet our sin, while not having the same consequences as it did here, our sin is never solitary. Our sin has rippling effects, even in ways we don't see, to our families, to those around us, and particularly to those whom we are knitted together with in Christ. As I said before, part of the issue here may have been not just that a member of the whole has sinned, but that the community has become lax concerning one of its members. And that's why I use the encouragement, you are your brother's keeper. Those who are familiar with God's Word know that that phrase comes from Genesis 4 and from Cain's response to the Lord when he's asked about where his brother, his biological brother, whom he just murdered, was. And I'm using the phrase in regards to the spiritual family that we have here at Ascension, to the church of Jesus. 
Now, I know that you are not responsible. You cannot possibly be responsible for everything that your brother or your sister does. We are accountable for our own actions. And yet, exhibiting brotherly love to those in the body of Christ requires this concept of knowing and being known. Something I've said over and over and over again. And as we know and are known, we as members of one body, one whole, we affect one another for better and for worse. We as a covenant community must be insistent that this body, that this place is a place where sin must not, may not abound. And that's a whole other tangent that I could go on talking about church discipline and the beauty and the helpfulness of church discipline. The point is, Aiken believed the lie that what he did would have no ramifications on anyone else. He was wrong. And not only himself, but his family and 36 men are dead as a result. Yes, God is not dealing with us in the same way that He dealt with the nation of Israel. And how that kind of thing shows itself in the life of our church isn't always clear. It's a mystery. But what's not a mystery is the teaching of the Scriptures in regards to our connectedness. So press into one another. Hold one another to godliness. For the purity of not just the individual, but for the sake of this church, for the sake of this body. Well, one final thing, we need to wrap it up. One final thing I want us to meditate on briefly, and it's this. We've talked about you. We've talked about us. Now we talk about God The final truth that I want us to see from this passage is this God of wrath is a God of mercy and hope. This God of wrath in Joshua chapter 7 is a God of mercy and a God of hope. No doubt this is a story of wrath. It is a hard story to swallow. It begins with God's anger burning against his people. It ends in verse 26 with his wrath being turned away. I don't know how many of you followed the story of Otto Warmbier, this young college kid that went on a tour group in North Korea and in a foolish lapse of sound reasoning ripped a propaganda poster off a hotel wall and was sentenced by North Korea to 15 years of hard labor. And as it turns out, he would barely serve one year and instead would die as he was just recently returned home after experiencing who knows what from that harsh regime. See, we hear that. We we, we watch that story. I watch that story. My kids and I talked about that story. We say, wow, that is harsh. It's unjust. That punishment does not fit that crime, whatever they did to him. 
And indeed, I think we're right in thinking that. But when you come to this passage, specifically when you come to verse 25, Israel stoned him with stones, they burned him with fire and stoned them with stones. Are you tempted to handle, or are you tempted to think about God's handling of this situation in the same way? It's a little, little much, isn't it, God? I suspect we are. And the reason we are is because both we think of our sin too lightly and we think of God's holiness too lightly. You see, we lose sight of who God is. We lose sight of that image, that truth that we sang about, that we started this worship service with. That vision that Isaiah saw of the heavenly beings being around his throne. This is not a brutal God lashing out. This is justice. This is righteousness. This is burning white-hot holiness. And this is not just about one man. Remember that. This is about a nation of rebellion and spiritual adultery. There is context here. Not only that, but 36 families, children, wives, mothers, brothers, and sisters are mourning and crying out for justice. The wages of sin is indeed death. And Jesus reminded his followers in Matthew chapter 5 that if your eye causes you to sin, take it out. Drastic measures are required because sin is not just an enemy, it is serious. And so yes, this is a passage of wrath, but this is a passage of perfect justice. And it's also a passage of of mercy. It's also a passage of mercy. As this scene unfolds, and you can can imagine Achan standing there, and and they're whittling away the tribes. Okay, you guys guys can leave. You guys are left. They're whittling away the households. And, And it's getting narrower and narrower and closer and closer to him. What is he doing standing there thinking that he's not going to be found out, that he's not going to be found out, that this is not going to work, that somehow God has not seen what he has done? God is patient with Achan. He gives him time before it's finally too late. If Achan had repented When all of Israel was called out, would he have been spared? I don't know. I know that God is a God of mercy. And I know that God shows his patience here. And yes, Achan eventually confesses and says he sinned before the Lord and he outlines his sin. And we don't know if that was genuine or not. But we know that our God is a God of mercy in the midst of justice. So friends, as, they, as we think about this passage, there is hope against a powerful enemy of sin. There is hope that God's wrath and justice won't come crashing down on us, and it's because it already came crashing down on Jesus. And Jesus, God's justice and God's mercy 
meet. And the result is hope. It's the hope of every Israelite that witnessed this here. The Lord will tell his people through his prophet Hosea. Remember Hosea, that Old Testament prophet, that great story of Hosea and Gomer, the picture of the pursuing lover to his adulterous spouse. The Lord says to his people through his prophet Hosea in chapter 2 of Hosea, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Achor a door of hope. And that's where we end. That's where we end. We don't stay in the valley of Achor, the valley of wrath and trouble and sin. But we walk through the door of hope that is the Lord Jesus. And there we find rest. And there we help one another cling to that hope every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You for the teaching, for the example that You have set before us by Your Old Testament people. Father, I pray that if there are those here who don't know the love and affection of the Lord Jesus, that You, Holy Spirit, would use even this service, even my words, to speak truth into their hearts, that they might apprehend their only hope in life and in death. And for those who know and love Jesus and have for years, may they cling ever more tightly to Him, knowing the enemy that lies within, knowing the ramifications of that sin in the lives of those around us. May we as a people walk increasingly by the power of Your Spirit in holiness. This we pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.